Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. The dead won't bother me. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. And we're back again. Barely. I know. Come on, 2020. God, it hasn't gotten any better. I saw uh, something online the other day that totally described my feelings. That was like January 2020. It's been a rough year, guys. Seriously. For real. Um, I was deathly sick with bronchitis, and I still have a little bit of a cough. I'm still a little verklempt. You're going to hear me probably hack or almost choke on a cough drop today. I'm just really tired. Yeah. It's been a week. Emotionally, physically. Yeah. 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 But we're still going to bring you guys a great show. Right. Let's lighten our moods with a little murder. Yeah, right. Uh, So with that, we're going to head over to the newsroom. Our story today comes from Wichita Falls. Uh, a car is pulled over due to a failed like turn signal use, okay. and officers saw people in the car toss something out the window, mm-hmm. so they detained both the driver and the passenger. The passenger initially told her uh, officers that her name was Porshala Strawn. And Wait, what? Porshal? Porshala. Okay. Just make sure I heard that right. Yeah, Porshala Strong. So they checked her ID and everything. Or and actually, I wouldn't say they checked her ID because they pulled Porshala Strong up, and she had a an arrest, a warrant out for her arrest. Okay. And while they were taking her to Dale, she said, "Actually, my real name is Sharika Strong." And when they pulled up her actual name, she had five warrants out for her arrest. Girl. So she gave officers a fake name mm-hmm. that also had warrants. I mean, it was a good try. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep track of all of your aliases. I, I is that 
How, what kind of problem is that to have? Is that a good problem to have or a bad problem <laughs> to have? That's a bad problem to have unless you're like a secret agent, which I don't think that she is. It just cracks me up because <laughs> it's one of those times where it's like trying to get away with something and it actually turns out like... So like, I mean, I guess one warrant compared to the five is like... She probably didn't know that her, her fake name also had a warrant. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Otherwise, she wouldn't have used it, I don't think. But right. I've oh watched gosh. enough episodes of Cops to know that that's how that always happens. It's like, they always oh, get your names blinker that have is not working. Oh, you have a warrant. Well, Cops is, is, is something. <laughs> I forget what the new new one of that is it's like there's like they read live pd yes <laughs> it's all terrible oh it's it's horrible yeah i watch it with such outrage because i'm just like this is racial profiling stuff <laughs> there is have you listened to the podcast that they did after finding richard simmons no the same guys did one called i think it's called running from cops that's about the cop mm. show um and they look at live pd mm-hmm. and kind of like how much bullshit it is oh, a little it is. bit because it's, it's total yeah it's like total garbage i'm trying to pull up the name for it it was something like that running running from cops i don't remember Probably. but look it up anyway we're gonna move yeah running from cops <laughs> i just found it we're gonna move on to netflix to kill sweet it was a clean transition there. Mm-hmm. This week, we're going to talk about Aaron Hernandez. Yay, I called it last time. <laughs> you did, yeah. If you thought we were done talking about Aaron Hernandez. We're never done talking about Aaron Hernandez. No, we are not. So Netflix just recently released a documentary called Killer Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. It covers the cases, but also... <laughs> yeah, cases, because there were multiple. Um, but it also covers, like interviews with his family and kind of mm-hmm. his background and the background of the like organizations that he was with and like a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things that you said last episode was this was controversial. Do you remember yeah, saying that? I do. Did you feel like it was controversial? People thought it was controversial. Really? I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was either. I didn't think it was at all. But I think that it was because they were the way that they were talking about his background in college football and um, his friends and acquaintances mentioning things about his sexuality, stuff like that was what was controversial. Everything yeah. that they talked about, I already knew. And I thought they did a pretty good job presenting it because... I thought they did, too. To be perfectly honest, when that case broke open, I wasn't as interested in it as, as you were. <laughs> I was kind of like, eh. Yeah, I was real interested Professional in football player, bah. No, it was crazy. Because he yeah. really did... I mean, when they lay it all out, he had this father who was a big uh, push in his life, but like you said, struggling with sexuality mm-hmm. as this kind of like being brought up in this macho man situation and then losing his dad at a young age and getting tossed into this like football life, which is a whole other thing, like yeah. the way that the athletes are kind of conditioned to mm-hmm. be in these football programs um, and the amount of stuff that they get away with almost. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it takes a look at a lot of things surrounding his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that you bring up the whole stuff about the sexuality because that was actually not originally in the documentary when they first were like putting it out into film festivals and stuff. Mm-hmm. They added that later because it is slightly unsubstantiated, although there has right. been a lot of people who have said, I've had these personal experiences with him. Mm-hmm. 
If anything, I think he was bisexual, which is like, whatever, who cares? Right. Right. (laughs) But it does add to this like pressure from playing football and the way that you're perceived and like that, I think definitely had an effect on his choices Mm -hmm. um, that that he obviously ended up paying for. It's it's really good. I think it's worth a watch. It's only three episodes. Yeah, so it was. It didn't feel like it was too drawn out. So no. Um, so that was a killer inside the mind of Aaron Hernandez on Netflix. Check it out. So this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. We actually mine is not like too terribly violent. I kind of. It's not. It's just like a quick little. Just a quick little killer. Quick little thing. Yeah, it'll take me about thirty seconds. No. Oh my god. Yeah. So I was inspired because I was recently in Indiana for a birthday. For things, we'll say, we'll say, and (laughs) that's very. It was for a birthday, not not my birthday, someone else's birthday. It was fun. It was a good time. But I was like, we have never. It's our neighboring state, and we've never like taking a little gander at what's going on over in indiana i mean so when you brought up this subject i had like immediate feelings of cleveland oh my but god like yeah. in a less enthusiastic way like indiana <laughs> indiana because indiana's like you know there's amish country and then there's you know nuclear fallout <laughs> but little did you know there's also murderers. I mean, I'm not surprised given the crime rate in Gary, Indiana. But True. yes. <laughs> yeah, it also birthed Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Gary. It also makes me think of the music man. Did you ever see that musical? Gary, Gary Indiana, Indiana Gary, not Louisiana, Indiana, Gary, Gary Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm embarrassed for what just happened. (laughs) I'm very embarrassed. Actually, I'm I'm pretty sure I have that on DVD. Yeah, and then it went right into the Wells Fargo wagon is coming down the street. I can't stop thinking about the music. Oh, boy. (laughs) So we are talking about some murders that happened in Indiana. I'm going to start it off with... Orville Lynn Majors. What a clearly Indiana name. (laughs) Very Indiana. Very. Gary Indiana. I know. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So Majors was born in 1961 in Linton, Linton, Indiana, which is sort of near the Illinois border. It seems he had like a relatively benign childhood, although his teenage years, he did have to take care of his alien grandmother, just like the situation they were in. Mm -hmm. This did inspire him to become a nurse. And in 1989, he graduated from the Nashville Memorial School of Practical Nursing and then moved back to Indiana and started working for the Vermilion County Hospital in Clinton. Great color. Vermilion? Yeah. What color is that? Like a red orange. Ooh. <laughs> I'm I feel an like artist. Well, I'm thinking, I feel like that's that's not the normal name for a color. I, if you give me a PMS number, then... I know. I know. We're living in two of it the is. same But worlds, I feel like really. I've heard that on Bob Ross. Oh, yeah. Like Vermilion mm-hmm. on the bottom of the screen. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful <laughs> color. It's the color of my walls in my bedroom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, so Majors would actually relocate a second time to Tennessee before he actually returned back to the Vermilion County Hospital where he would stay. Um, that's kind of where he settled down. And most people describe Majors as this really like incredibly kind and caring individual. And he was known by 
um, a lot of people in town because he also owned a pet shop in as you do <laughs> yeah right in the nearby town of Linton so he was a nurse and owned a pet shop because that is not confusing at all I mean do what you love I guess An interesting thing sort of happened when Majors returned in 1993 back to VCH. All of a sudden, people started dying kind of a lot. (laughs) Like there was this like obvious weird influx in the amount of ICU deaths like as soon as he returned. And it wasn't really noticed until about 1995 when registered nurse and supervisor Don Stierick, who was getting a lot of comment from like fellow nurses that he was exhibiting some suspicious behavior and she had her own suspicions as well. She decided to do a little looking and started doing research into a correlation between the days that Majors was in the ICU and patient deaths. Mm-hmm. So the spike in the ICU deaths happened between 94 and 95. In fact, and this is like when I saw these numbers, it's weird because they did like a this weird like scientific research almost mm-hmm. into like numbers and data sheets and statistics Ooh, and things give me the, the graphs and the charts oh yeah totally <laughs> so 100 of the 351 people admitted to the vermilion county hospital which is like the icu is just a four bed uh icu mm-hmm. so 100 of the 351 people admitted died that's that's very high. This is compared to the previous four years, an average of 27 patients died of an average 354 admitted. Yeah, that's a big jump. That's a big spike. That's like four times as much just mm-hmm. about like when you have a third of your patients dying. Yikes. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're doing you got, something wrong. Got a little issue. <laughs> Um, so Don Sirik, she did this research and saw that, in fact, Majors had been present in ICU deaths nearly twice as many times as any other nurse. Mm. And in March of 1995, she took these findings to the president and chief executive officer of VCH, John Ling, who promptly suspended Majors from work without pay pending an investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, as I was reading this, there kind of seemed to be this like... Um, almost a feeling of like he was suspended without explanation and was definitely like running this campaign to like try and figure out like why the fuck did they suspend me I wasn't doing anything wrong yeah so that was a whole aspect to this that was a little interesting but following the suspension the state nursing board revoked major's license for five years for quote practicing beyond his authority by giving emergency drugs and working in an intensive care unit without a doctor okay yeah that seems like a good reason to suspend someone's license in the meantime state investigators started looking into these cases they had been Uh contacted by the board brought the state investigators in So when they started looking into the deaths, it seemed like most were elderly and many followed the pattern of respiratory arrest followed by a rapid heartbeat, which apparently, because I don't know anything about medical things, is the total opposite of how that is supposed to happen. Say that one more time. It was something Um, and then respiratory. It was respiratory arrest followed by a rapid heartbeat. Yeah, that And that's supposed to be like flipped. flipped. Uh, So smothering? (laughs) <laughs> not 
not quite. That sounds smothery to me. It does. <laughs> yeah, I guess that does sound smothery too. I didn't even think of that. Patients would also die of illnesses that they weren't admitted with, or they would like take a sudden turn for the worse after they were showing improvement or like were totally fine. Which I mean is pretty common. People seem to they appear to bounce back before they die. Like yeah, like yeah. I, when my grandmother was in the middle of passing, she had like a few hours of clarity where she knew what was going on before she passed away. So it like it it happens. It's very yeah. common. Yeah, but not this many times in a row. No, <laughs> not very consistently. Deaths were happening approximately every twenty three hours when Majors was there. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> every twenty three hours. hours. So like one a day. That's just about absurd. Yeah. Um, when he was there, the like when he was present, the likelihood of someone dying increased forty two times. This is why, like, when they put together these numbers, I was like, this is fucking incredible. That like, is insanity. Wow. That is like an escalation beyond escalation. Yeah, I. it's a lot. And this was compared to every, I think it was, I didn't put it in my notes, but I believe it was like 531 hours on average for everybody else. Like... What's blowing minds? Right now. <laughs> uh, friends of majors indicated that he had a slight personality once he returned to VCH, and they wait, wait. he had a slight personality. Yeah, they said that he was like way more irritable and easily offended. Like after he left and went to um, Tennessee and then came back. He was like, I've always had the opposite when visiting Tennessee. I feel much more relaxed. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering because there were some allegations in some of the court proceedings that he was using drugs. drugs. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, if which I would totally like, that would definitely be a symptom of like starting to use drugs, would be these mm-hmm. personality changes. So, I'm wondering if that had anything to do with it, but I couldn't find anything that was like he was definitely. Yeah, like using a bunch unless of they or tested him, they can't really know for sure. Right, right. According to AP News, quote, nurses and housekeepers told police that majors would refer to patients' families as white trash and dirt and said old people should be gassed, end quote. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I'm all for like assisted suicide, but like not like that. Right. Yeah, that's a little intense. Uh, by September 1995, police were exhuming 15 bodies to test for potassium chloride poisoning. Uh-huh. In total, the investigation into majors took two and a half years and cost the state $1.6 million. Jesus. Indiana. I know. It's like, oh boy. Oh boy. Indiana. (laughs) Majors was adamant of his innocence and he hired an attorney, Marshall Pincus, to run a public campaign for his innocence. He did interviews and like did the talk show circuits, including Montel Williams and Donahue. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Classics. Montel. Oh, Montel. Um, So he was going on to claim. Sally Jesse Raphael. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he went in to claim that the exhumation of the bodies was a witch hunt and that no one was murdered. I know I saw that it was like a facepalm. Like it was definitely a facepalm moment. 
In the Chicago Tribune, Attorney Pincus says, quote, I think the state police see this as a case of the century, and they were bound and determined to make an arrest no matter what. I can't say why they went after Lynn. Maybe because he is homosexual, bisexual, and had been in a few scrapes in the past. They have no concrete evidence. So that's one of the things that they really latch on to, because he was openly bisexual. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was like, it's because of that that they're trying to go after him, which... It's not. No, there are cases where that happens, but this is not around in hospitals saying these old people should be fucking gassed. Could that be it? Yeah, right. No, no, that's Uh, not it. Just openly calling your patients white trash. I mean, yes, it's Indiana, but come on, you're supposed to have some monicum of decorum as a nurse. Yeah, (laughs) nah. Um, so Majors was eventually arrested in December of 1997 and charged with six counts of murder and held without bail. Police did search Major's home as well and found vials of potassium chloride, epinephrine, alupent, nitroglycerin, proventil, bronchosol, dobutamine, and... That just sounded made up. Dobutamine! I know it does, but it was on the list of the affidavit. I don't know what any of these things are. Well, epinephrine is is what's an epipen. Right, right. It's basically adrenaline. They also found syringes and iodine prep along with some other various things. Which at that point, it's like, why iodine prep when you're just going to murder Because he's a nurse. He has an oath. He's got an oath to uphold. (laughs) You won't get any infections before I murder you. First do no harm and then do harm. No. Do the harm the correct way. (laughs) Most of the potassium chloride containers had multiple puncture marks in the stoppers, which is quite alarming. You can't get high from potassium chloride, can you? I don't think so. <laughs> unless it's the most wild high I've never heard of. Because <laughs> then I could be like, what if he was also just like taking a little bit off the top? <laughs> Maybe. Nurses um, out there, tell us. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely have some uh, medical professional friends that I'm sure will yes, send me a message and be like, this thing. It. Yes. <laughs> so the reason that there was like the multiple puncture marks was also unusual too is because that's not a practice in hospitals no. um you One typically <laughs> yeah you use the fluid once and then you dispose of the remainder investigators also discovered that while dust increased when majors return the hospital was also at the time seeing a shortage of potassium <laughs> my bananas not wrong potassium <laughs> <laughs> Bananas. Oh, no. Oh, no, Janelle. I'm so sorry. I'm so funny. <laughs> um, they didn't have any special security at the time for, like, drug procurement, and anybody could just walk away with the drugs. What? The 90s. The ni- yeah. Like, the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, according... There's, there's still some hospitals that... Mm. Yeah. A lot of them do have the system where you have to, like, check in, yeah. check it out, and, like, type in all, all the stuff. It. Yeah. yeah. According to nursing director Judy Howard, the nurses mixed their own potassium chloride and there wasn't any accountability for unused materials also. This goes on and on with various doctors and nurses reporting drug shortages, missing needles and syringes. Um, There were also reports of majors being in possession of needles in in suspicious circumstances. Um, (laughs) Most of the time, these reports reference these syringes that he carried around with him in like a black pouch. To like see that just says menacing doctor to me menacing yeah oh that's a good word for it yeah like just like i don't know it makes me think of just really awkward b horror movies yeah i could see that 
Um, so like I said, Majors was arrested in December 97. He was charged with the six counts of murder for the murders of Marianne Alderson, Dorothea Hickson, Cecil Smith, Luella Hopkins, Margaret Hornick, and Freddie Wilson. There's some like southern names. <laughs> I mean... Indiana? Indiana. I almost forgot that we were in Indiana for a second. I know. A trial followed that lasted five weeks, hearing from 79 witnesses, including 23 doctors. Major's defense solely rested on the contention that the patients died of ailments that they had been admitted with, although the prosecution put up the case that the deaths were consistent with the use of potassium chloride, epinephrine, or both. Now, there was also... Um, evidence of a study that showed Majors was present for 130 deaths in total, but the evidence was never shown to the jury uh, because the judge just like didn't allow this in because they were only trying the six. And I'm wondering if like the evidence itself, because they only exhumed like 15 bodies in total, so like right. it would I mean, have to be like written reports of stuff that happened. Yeah, it have. To, I mean, and two, it's hard to tell after someone has been put in the ground, and who knows how long they've been right. in there, right? And the circumstances under which they died. So it was probably the ones that were very evident. That yeah, they exactly. Decided to try. It took the jury 33 hours to deliberate before coming to a decision and finding Majors guilty of the six murders, sentencing him to six consecutive consecutive terms of 60 years. <clears throat> which was the max penalty, totaling 360 years in prison. Yeesh. Yikes, right? Yeah. Following Majors. In Indiana prison, too. Woof. I know, yeah. (laughs) And it was like the Indiana State um, Prison. Following Majors' conviction, the Vermilion County Hospital was renamed to Central Community Hospital, uh, because I'm sure they did not want... Stigmas. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, The hospital was also subsequently slapped with multiple wrongful death suits from the families of 80 patients. As you do. um, That were alleged to have died as a result of Majors' actions. Many of the suits brought by the family were settled out of court and paid for by a state's patients fund, which good. Um, the state also fined the hospital for $80,000 for negligence and code violations. The entire building was actually like sh- completely shut down for a time because it lost its accreditation, which I was well. like, oh no. <laughs> um, and by 2009, it had been bought by Union Hospital in Terre Haute and renamed to renamed to Union Hospital uh, Clinton. So it's already gone through like couple All the rebranding <laughs> couple of rebrands yeah majors of course ventured on his appeals process but he had his conviction upheld in 2002 by the indiana supreme court so he returned to indiana state prison to serve the remainder of his sentence he was described in what i found really interesting is like a very similar way to how people in the community described him mm-hmm. as just like this model prisoner basically with right. minimal infractions he had a total of 3 in 18 years and they were all very minor and he held various jobs while he was incarcerated mm-hmm. he did continue to maintain his innocence the entire time and he had a few visitors his last visit happened in 2015 Finally, on September 24th, 2017, Majors began having trouble breathing. And while prison... Potassium chloride? (laughs) Well, I found it really interesting because while prison staffers were, like, assisting with a medical pass, Majors became unresponsive and eventually died of heart failure. Which I was like, Karmic. Karmic is right. Holy (laughs) shit. So... 
that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He went out the way he came in. <laughs> he did. I just, that's one of these cases, we haven't done any, like, medically, hospitally cases mm. in a while. And this sh- kind of shit happens, like the angel of death oh, stuff yeah. mm-hmm. happens way more, I think, than, than people realize. Than yeah. anybody, I think, mm-hmm. wants to think about. So it's the story of... So I don't trust hospitals or doctors or anything. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Just the, take some Robitussin and rub some Vicks on it and you're good to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, Vicks solves all the problems. It does. <laughs> With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, the case that I'm covering is a doozy. Okay. Um, because there's corruption, Ooh. meddling reporters, Ooh. gossipy neighbors. Gossip. But also that the victims weren't necessarily squeaky clean and innocent. Innocent. So, I mean... I'm providing your backup right now. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> this is this is Film Noir Corner with Janelle. Janelle, Janelle. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Three dudes did die. Oh. In a pretty brutal way. Okay. But you're not going to feel super bad at the end of the story because they were dead. <laughs> Just okay. wait. Just wait. <laughs> I'm anxious for this roller coaster of a story. I am all about victims' rights and advocacy, but this is kind of like, well... Karmic? Is yes, that, is that actually the theme, the theme of our episode? episode? Is Indiana. Karmic. The karmic place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what if Indiana was the like karmic center of the world this whole time and nobody knew it? Ugh, that explains so much. <laughs> Why all the Amish live there. Oh my god, it would There's explain large, so much. A large population of Amish people. Go see uh, Chipshawana and have some pie and fried chicken because it's yeah. delightful. <laughs> So, this takes place in 1971, and it stars three men, Robert Gerson, or no, not Gerson, Gersey. I'm just filling in the blanks. Start over. It's whatever you want it to be. Robert Gersey, Robert Hinson, and James Barker. They were your average white dudes in Indiana, very bro-y by 1970s standards. I would say by that hairstyle, those hairstyles. Very like Don Draper level kind of douchebaggery. They were what we would call now toxic masculine men oh boy (laughs) um they were between the ages of 27 and 34 and they were known around town as rebel rousers okay so gearcy and henson lived together in a swank bachelor pad on lasalle street uh barker lived just down the road in his very own house and the three had previously worked together at bell and howell company in chicago before they moved to the plant in indianapolis uh bell and howell company were a microfilm business okay like film film microfiche okay oh okay the things that you see at a library i get to play with this stuff at my job (laughs) 
Lucky you. Did you feel a special connection to this? I did. I love microfilm. I'm that nerd who will go into the library and be like, excuse me, can I please see your microfilm machine? I don't think I've ever used a microfilm machine for literally anything. Just the noises it makes. Yeah, but internet. No, 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 no. Internet. No, no, no. Internet. Everything is not on the internet. As proven by the fact that I've had to digitally upload and archive things from microfilm. Fair enough. So that's the beauty and the glory of it. You don't get that mm, click, click, click that the internet cannot provide to you. I hope not, because that probably means there's something wrong with your computer. That's right. Anyway, that's that's microfilm (laughs) corner with Janelle. Um, So on November of 1971, the Roberts started their own microfilm business called Bob and Bob Microfilming Service. I love it. Yes. B&B for short. And the three amigos would start having raging parties and celebrating because they all had this awesome new like job and they were on their own and they didn't give a fuck. So they were drinking all night, listening to music turned all the way up, much to the chagrin of their neighbors who constantly called the cops and complained about it. Of course. What year was this? 1971. Okay. Yeah. So this is still when you had in like the like the regular ass neighborhoods, like Mm -hmm. you still had some of those like Leave It to Beaver families that were just like those kids are being way too loud. It's seven o'clock. Indiana. Oh my god, yeah, true. True. (laughs) So they were, you know, having crazy ragers. Crazy. What does that even (laughs) entail in the seventies? A lot of highballs and dancing swankily with each other. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the other thing that they would do is they would go out to bars a lot and they would pick fights with people. Okay. Like on purpose. So these kind of rowdy boys. On purpose, try to get somebody to punch them. I was like, oh boy. So they were not just, you know, businessmen. They were like causing a ruckus. But they were also players, ladies' men, if you know what I mean. Ew. So this is why I think this story is not that sad. Because (laughs) (laughs) they would bed several women and brag about it nonstop. What hussies? To the point where they started a competition. They would see which one of them could sleep with the most women by the end of the month. This is like the standard plot to a movie in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. But that's not even the best part. The winner would get a steak dinner. That's the reward. Oh, my God. For betting the most women. Stop being so predictable. A slice of woman and a slice of meat, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why this story, I was like, uh, okay, I'm not so sad. It's so it's and all, also it's just why all so toxic masculinity came into for my real head. for real oh my god it's all so dumb I know it's so dumb this it, Indiana just makes me want to have eye rolls and especially this story this one's an eye roller so they kept a tally in a notebook inside of Bob and Bob's house which ugh. And the Bob and Bob, Bob Bob. the last count had the total at 63 women with Barker being in the lead by betting 25 women. Oh, my God. Within a month. Jesus. Wow. So this competition would lead to a very serious issue as gaggles of drunk semi-nude women would often be heard and seen fighting in and around the home on LaSalle Street. (laughs) 
up like women would just show up and start fighting with each other? No, like they would bring home women from the bar and they would continue the party there. And of course, they were trying to sleep with him. So they would just be like all of these really, really pissed, drunk girls, like in various states of undress, like fighting each other over these three douchey guys. I just kind of imagined all of these women that they had previously vetted showing up at the house. Like, (laughs) why haven't you called me? But like, ten of them do it at one time and they're like, what do you mean? And they just start fighting. There was very much that as well. But it was just like, in the middle of them trying to like That's sleep hilarious. with women, just getting crazy rowdy drunk. And, I mean, like, I'm feeling shit. less and less bad as this goes on. I told you this yeah, is not that real. sad of a story. <laughs> so they they were just continuing this nonsense. But by December first of 1971, the competition, of course, would come to an end with murder. Oh, <laughs> oh we get to the murder. That morning, John Carnes called the offices of B&B Microfilming to speak with the two Bobs. The, the two Bobs. I, I, I love it. The two, two Bobs. Um, which Wait, like, wasn't that an office space thing? Probably. The guys that showed up to do the interviewing at the end were the two Bobs? Probably. Anyway. I mean, it's that's probably the most common name in this that's time hilarious. period is that's fucking hilarious. Bob. So... The secretary informed him that they had been working late the previous night and would more li- more than likely be in later, because they did that a lot. So Carnes waited and called back that afternoon. Now the secretary answered again, and she seemed a little bit worried, and stated that although they do like to party, this was extremely uncommon for them to not just like do a no-show. This wasn't in character. They were very dedicated to their business. Yeah. So Carnes decided to head over to the LaSalle Street home. And upon arriving at 2.15 p.m., he came across both vehicles still in the driveway. Uh-oh. You know, he noticed that Barker's blue Mustang was there, which was really unusual. He didn't normally spend the night because he lived, like, a block away. <laughs> so, Carnes decided that he was going to, you know, go up to the house and see what he could see. Now, he went around the back because that was, like, the door that people used. And he went around the back to the door. It was open. You know, it's 1971. Nobody locks their doors. And I'm fucking close. That's why these things happen. <laughs> yeah. So upon entering, he found a really grisly scene. Hinson was found on his stomach in the front bedroom with his hands bound beneath him. Barker was found on his back in the bathroom between the two bedrooms, and Geercy was lying on his back in the rear bedroom. All three of them had been bound and their throats slit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the head investigator on the case stated to reporters that it appeared that more than one person had been in on this as they were like three giant strapping young men and they were I'm all just tied imagining, up. And, and I'm hoping this is I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I am imagining a gaggle of women I attacking mean, these men. That would be so very karmic. But it would I be. don't think that was the case. Damn. I know. Damn. But. Geercy and Hinson were friends who had quit their previous jobs like together to start their new business, and they were working for a businessman in Jasper named Ted Uland. Now, the two allegedly, when they left, had taken with them some of Uland's clients, but also reportedly some equipment and cash upon oh. their abrupt They were just exit. like, this is ours now. Yeah, so oh like God. a little bit of backhand dealings. Wow. Uland um, also, apparently you could do this, had taken out a 
life insurance policy on the men for $150,000 each. Is that a th- is that a thing that you can do? You could. You can't, you can't anymore, anymore, right? No, you oh, can't good. just take you can't take life insurance policies out on random people anymore. I'm glad that we changed that. You literally could take it out on a fucking stranger. Like, nobody would care. That's so weird. It's so very weird. But because he was their employer, it was very, like, that's totally fine well, if there's an accident I mean, on the job. it's still fucking weird. It's very weird. But I'm so glad that doesn't <clears throat> yeah. happen anymore. <laughs> so, he became the, the prime suspect initially. However, detectives had no idea who could have worked with Uland to have the men killed because it obviously wasn't him he had a rock solid alibi putting him in southern indiana the night that they were murdered so they kind of were like all right i don't think we could really proceed with this lead so they decided to kind of look around and see who else was in the proximity because these men were sleeping with everybody of course they were like let's check on all these women so (laughs) They came upon this theory that the men were killed because they were involved with the ex-wife of Carol Horton. Now, Carol's the man's name. This is during the time when Carol, Lindsay, and Ashley were very commonly used as men's names. Kelly Kelly would have been another one. So this is going to get really confusing for a minute because there's going to be two Carols. Oh, God. There's Carol double L Carol, who's the man. Carol one L Carol is a woman. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Just keep that in mind. So, Carol, double L, Carol, Horton's, (laughs) his wife was named Diane, and she had been friends with Giersey, and it was reported in a newspaper, like, there is a photograph in a newspaper of her, like, bawling her eyes out in the front lawn the, like, the morning, or the day after that they were, like, found just mourning, like, like, having a full-on fit, hugging somebody. So that obviously made rumors abound that she had been sleeping with Giersey and that her husband possibly could be a suspect. Yikes. No chill. They did not do anything with this case. They investigated a little bit for Horton and Uland, but that was it. Nothing went anywhere. The case was fucking cold. Really? Yeah. The case went cold until 1992. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Holy moly. When a, I'm going to put heavy quotes on this, reporter. Okay. She's a reporter named Carol, 1L Carol Schultz. (laughs) She launched her own investigation on the case. Uh, Carol Schultz befriended Carol Horton. (laughs) Carol and Carol. (laughs) That's a a great start to a sitcom. Yes, Bob and Bob, now Carol and Carol. Carol and Carol. The Carols. (laughs) So they went a caroling. Oh, God. Okay. God. Anyway. Um, so she befriended him in an attempt to get him to kind of confess to the triple murder because she was very convinced that he had done it. Now, with the help of the police, uh, specifically Detective John W. Layton, Schultz attempted to get Horton to confess he was in the home and present at the time of the murders. Schultz hinted to Horton that his fingerprints had been found at the scene, which was, of course, not fucking true. Oh, my God. She even attempted to get a statement from one of Horton's ex-girlfriends incriminating him and stating he was violent, but this never went anywhere. I'm I'm, assume, I'm starting to sound like maybe he didn't do it. I'm thinking maybe he didn't do it. <laughs> she then went on to work with an inmate who was imprisoned in a Florida jail. 
to assist her in catching horn. Oh, okay. Florida. Uh, Florida. Thank you. Florida to Indiana. Uh, what can I say? Oh, my gosh. Opposites so, attract, I guess? Or like people attract. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the man's name was Michael Lee Chastain, and he was a former Indianapolis man who was serving two life terms in a Florida prison for a 1981 slaying of a Jacksonville man. He implicated himself and Horton in a confession, which he also then recanted about a dozen times. Oh, God. (laughs) So one of these jailhouse snitchy kind of things. I'm looking to make a deal. He wrote several letters uh, to people about the case, kind of telling his side of the story. Chastain even went on to tell investigators that Horton paid him and another man to kill the businessmen because one of them was having an affair with his ex-wife. Oh, boy. Now, something doesn't smell right. Yeah. Um, The most fucked up thing about this is that they were indicted. (laughs) Wow. Okay. In April of 1992. Um, They indicted Horton and Chastain was the key witness. But in a preliminary hearing in May, Chastain changed his story. He testified, wait for this fucking whopper, he testified that the killings were plotted by then-President Nixon and carried out by Nixon advisor Charles Colson with the help from then-Labor leader Jimmy Hoffa. What the fuck? This Are is, you serious? This is a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's... Yep. Tricky Dick is on the case. Tricky Dick. <laughs> Tricky Dick. Oh, my God. I don't even... There's so much to unpack there. It's just... It's just... That just is like, this where is would, all where, fabrication. Where would Nixon even find the time? <laughs> well, here. Where would he even find the time? He had a lot of hands and a lot of pots. Yeah, he did. But they were in the microfilm business. Okay. I mean... Microfilm. Yeah. Watergate. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a stretch, but it is a big stretch. But okay. that was the thought process. Right. Anyway, I'm so glad Nixon made an appearance in this story. And that Jimmy is, fucking Hoffa, that you is glossed totally, over the Jimmy Hoffa. It's I just like it's right so, before he disappeared too. It's like so what? delightful. <laughs> oh my god! So uh, Chastain never explained the fucking connection. <laughs> Just was like, He's just like, this is what happened. It was Nixon, Nixon and Charles Hoffa. Colson and Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> Fuck you. So Chastain was charged with the murder of Hinson and Horton was charged with the murder of all three victims. It didn't make any fucking sense. Obviously, the case went nowhere because okay. it was absolutely made up bullshit. Jesus. I can't believe they got indicted And at all. false information. Well, Carol Schultz was working with the police department and she had become like their snitch essentially which she was lambasted for this because she has that's you're a reporter you're supposed to have ethics you're not supposed to be working with the police right yeah and she was feeding information to that inmate and recording everything that she was talking about with horton and the inmate all under the supervision of the police, she was feeding the guy in, in jail fucking information. Like, she had case files and was, like, kind of leaving these breadcrumbs. And that's why all of that information he had was, like, somewhat accurate. Right. Because which of she course, was feeding it to him. Of course we know that's not how these things work. Like, that's not how you get confessions. Exactly. By telling 
people what to confess to. Like, that's not how it works. Precisely. So, obviously, the charges were fucking dropped. <laughs> and oh every, my gosh. everything went back to square one. So Well, good. I mean, that the charges were dropped. <clears throat> uh, Carol Schultz was just she was in the process of like getting a a movie deal she had written there's a book that you can read about this it's pretty terrible but she was basically just completely people were just like no if anyone mentioned her name it would just be laughable so she was completely just taken out of her own business like she i mean she disappeared into the ether um that's what happens when you do a bad job that's what happens when you have zero ethics you did bad carol so Carol fucked up. And in 2001, police received a letter written by Fred Harbison. Now, Fred Harbison had worked for Uland and he had died a few years later and he left a safety deposit box to his son. Okay. It, apparently, the letter that was in the safety deposit box went unopened for years after his death. And then when it was opened, he, the son immediately re- turned it over to police. Oh, boy. So former Indianapolis Police Department Captain Robert Snow decided that he was going to try and do something with this letter. In the letter, it stated that Harbison was hired by Uland to kill the men, but was never paid for the job. Harbison couldn't go to the police or sue for the money, and he was afraid of Uland. Okay. So this is what the letter read. These two men I killed in their beds by cutting their throats, and there was another guy who wasn't supposed to be there, but I had to kill him, too, because he showed up. Ted was supposed to pay me when he got the insurance money, but he kept putting me off because he said he had lost some money, but he said he would pay me as soon as he could. The paper said that a yellow Oldsmobile was seen at the place where I killed them, but it was really my yellow Plymouth Roadrunner. I buried my boots because the tracks they found they found them because I knew they would match up on my prints of my boots. It was a little hard to read. Yeah. So basically, this letter wow. confessed that yeah. he had killed the men and he had never been paid, and it was Uland who who hired him. Oh my gosh! Now the the police department tried to attempt to do something about this, but there was a lot of pushback, and because both Harbison and Uland are deceased, mm. nothing will be done about this. And the case is still technically classified as open. Oh my gosh. So, um, wow. much like much like Cleveland, Indiana is not really great at wrapping things up Jeez. or doing their due diligence and, you know, yeah. investigating. Wow. But that is the LaSalle Street murders. And like I said, you don't feel too terribly bad at the end of this. <laughs> I mean, kind of not, but I don't know. That's... Oh... That was a roller coaster. Indiana. That's how I feel. Indiana. <laughs> if you need to get Indiana off your mind, because it just sounds terrible, yes. listen to this podcast. I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. 
It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forever's on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forever's pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All right, Janelle, that has been our show. It has been our show. But we do have some events to talk about. We do. We do. Um, So first is the... True Crime Expo. Yes. You know, <laughs> I was like, wait, which one are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> that's the first one that's coming up. Yes. So April you 4th. know about that. Yeah, I, I tell. do. Do tell. Um, so you remember that expo we were going to have in November that got canceled? Yeah. They have a new date. Yay! It's April 4th. It's still with Haunted Rockford and John Borowski Films. They're going to do a filming after the expo. It's from noon to four at, I think it's still Veterans Memorial Hall. She hasn't yeah. told me it's different, but okay. you can go on hauntedrockford.com and find out all the information. You can buy tickets ahead of time or at the door. They're a little bit more expensive at the door, though, so maybe buy it in advance. Yeah. But we'll be there telling some stories. Along We're with doing some other, a live show. It's a live show, baby, along with some other fabulous people. You can come hang out with us. Maybe maybe get us some Are merch. we going to dress in costume for this one? Can I, I mean, wear a boa? That would be pretty hilarious. I know. I, I could. I have. You totally have, fucking could. We're not clothing. revealing what it is, but Janelle could do it. I have clothing <laughs> from like 1890 until the 90s. Like I could dress up in any conceivable decade. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so you can come and check us out. Again, go to Haunted Rockford for more information on that show mm-hmm. and that is what's the day april april 4th 4th um after that we are going to be in kansas city missouri yeah, yeah. for the true crime podcast festival Casey, baby on july 11th <laughs> and 12th mm-hmm. um we, I think, have finally like finalized all of our stuff yes. to actually go. So, like, we're going. Tickets are completed. We're going. Airbnb booked. Booked. Every, I'm excited. Every place I want to go to has been put on my itinerary. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of great um, podcasts that are going to be there. They're doing some more panels. They're yep. doing some more live recordings. Mm-hmm. We're just going to be there hanging out, chit-chatting, doing the thing. But if you want to get tickets for that, you can find those at tcpf2020.com. Um, again, that's July 11th and 12th. And I would advise getting tickets sooner yeah, rather than the, later. The prices will go up as as, as it gets closer and closer, but as, if, as that happens. If you want a fun weekend, we're staying above a ramen shop. I'm super yeah, stoked for that. I mean, there's going to be ramen. There's going to be barbecue. I'm going to hit oh up my the God, art yeah. museum. I'm just going to do the all what the museum? The art museum. The art museum. Yeah. They said the museum. dark museum. I was the, like, the dark that? arts museum. I want that. Now, I, have, I, want, I want to be there. <laughs> I have reciprocity with like a thousand art museums. So anytime I go anywhere, I just go in for free. Oh my just God. Like, Bye. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So check that out again, tcpf2020.com for more information on that. Um, do we have anything else? Do we have any like. I mean, you can check out our Patreon. Yep. We have fun stuff up there, back backlogs of all kinds of crazy shenanigans, cocktails and conspiracies True. it's it's happening over there yeah you can go to patreon.com or you can go to badtastecrimecast.com slash donate mm-hmm. it'll get you to the same place yep check out our merch merch linked also on the website badtastecrimecast.com slash merch yeah it's spring you're gonna need a tank top soon oh my gosh Maybe i've started pull, gear. <laughs> pulling my tank top out to play volleyball i was like mm-hmm. i missed this yeah yeah i started <laughs> i started running 
whoa not from stop people stop the press <laughs> not from people stop the press i started running for leisure wow go you girl I 2020 know. janelle's a year of you know what fuck it fuck it i'm gonna run <laughs> um yeah so i i brought out my tank top to go running in get and it was girl like oh yeah i need a better sports bra <laughs> Oh man, you know the struggles are it's real. Been a minute. <laughs> it's been, been all a minute. Um, <laughs> if you want to keep an eye on like the places we're going to be or the things we're doing, you can also find us on Facebook and yeah. Instagram, Bad Taste Crimecast. Lots of opportunities to see us this year, or Twitter <laughs> at BT Crimecast for that stuff. We'll announce for stuff there. Twitty twatting. What? Twi- nope. <laughs> no. Ew. Okay. Nope. Take that out. Recant. Recant. <laughs> All right. With that, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here. Our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. Hype, 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 hype. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we will see you in two weeks. Stay safe and have fun. Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> Gary, Indiana, not Louisiana. Gary, Indiana. <laughs> It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town.